So what was God thinking when he sent his son to save the world as a baby? Why'd he choose a virgin? Doesn't he know that's not how it usually works? He did create the process. And what's up with the whole census thing? Couldn't he have gotten Caesar Augustus to reschedule to keep Mary from having to travel while she was nine months pregnant? And couldn't God, who is all-powerful, create a shining new palace for his son to be born in? Or at least make sure there is at least one room in the inn? And what's up with the star and the wise men? If they really were wise men, couldn't they have found the way to the Messiah themselves? We may not know the answers to these questions, but one thing we do know is that with God, you have to expect the unexpected. Good morning, everybody. We got a lot of sick folks, so please let's remember them in prayer. Man, I've just I've just been having a good time with God there this morning. Um, just thinking about the sacrifice, uh, the blood, uh, the grace, the mercy that He's given to us, and and then also just knowing where we're going with this message today, where we were last week, and then where we're going this morning with this message today. Just I just I guess I've just been having a good time with God there, and, and uh, crying, praying over. Just praying over my life and all the stuff, and uh, so I just want to get to that. Let's 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 uh, please keep all these sick folks in prayer uh, all day long, if you will. Help me do that. But uh, let's have a word of prayer. One one more word of prayer right now. Just ask God to please bless us in our in the word, the time that we have here together in the word, and just uh, and and stir someone and uh, help some help someone receive something they need from Him today. Father, I love you, God. I thank you for Lord this this past week, Lord, that has been so so powerful, God, in my life. Some things that that you've done this week, Lord, I thank you, God, for the great ministry, Lord, that you poured out yesterday, God, with our, our, our ladies, God, the time that they had together. I, I pray, God, that you would just uh, take this time, these, these few moments that we have together to look into your word, to look to a story, God, that teaches us about who you are, your grace and your mercy, Lord, and, and God, how unexpectedly you show up in our lives, how unexpectedly you, you bring good into our lives. Lord, when, when we don't deserve good, and Lord, you, you unexpectedly show up with it. I pray, God, that you just stir this time, stir our hearts, Lord, and help us receive that. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen. Okay, so last week I told you something. The very first thing I told you that was, I, I, I thought you were, was probably unexpected maybe to some of you to hear from a church is that God doesn't care about your past. He's more interested in your future. And uh, a lot of people think, you know, the church is real judgmental and always just wanting to point out your past and how wrong you've been at that. Today I want to tell you something. It sounds kind of similar, but today I want to tell you that God is not concerned about who you are. And I mean like right now, today, this very moment, God's not even concerned about who you are. That's the first unexpected thing I want you to hear. God's not concerned about who you are. He doesn't care what your last name is. He doesn't care what family you grew up in. He doesn't care what side of the tracks, that's what we used to say when I was a kid, he doesn't care what side of the tracks you grew up on. He doesn't care if uh, you're related to Donald Trump or not, doesn't care, you know, if, uh, if you grew up in uh, subsidized housing, doesn't care, you know, he doesn't care who your friends are, he doesn't care any of those things about you because God is more concerned with what he is going to be able to help you achieve and how he is going to be able to help you become someone. And the person that he's going to be able to help you become. That's what God's concerned about. He's not concerned about who you are today. He's concerned about who you're going to be tomorrow. Thank God for that. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of the same thing as last week, but a little different. It's not just about your past, and it's not about your present. It's about your future. That's what God's all about today. That's what he is concerned. And so, so today I want to introduce you to a, a second member of, of uh, a, a second female member of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and her name was Ruth. And, uh, you know, last week we talked about Rahab, 
And uh, Rahab had a few things written about her in several different in several different places, but Ruth only had she only had things written about her in two places. One is in the book of Matthew, and the other is in a book named Ruth. And so, even though it looks like well, she wasn't you know say well, she was only mentioned in two places in the Bible, but she had a lot written about her. This entire book is her story, and so we want to introduce introduce her to you. And a little bit first of all, I'll tell you a little bit about her family, okay? And then Matthew chapter one verse five is that Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And so what we're doing here, this is the genealogy. Remember how we, we went kind of down the tree of, of Jesus getting back to Abraham and, and seeing all that. And here we see how, how Ruth kind of fits in with this whole thing. And so instead of reading all those verses all over again this morning, let me just wrap it up to tell you this, is that Ruth was the great, 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 and I don't know how many greats to tell you, but she was the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ that was born of the Virgin Mary, the, the Son of God. And she was the great-grandmother of David. See, it says that uh, Obed, uh, um, um, his mother was Ruth. Ruth was Obed's mother, the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. She was the great-grandmother of David, King David, you know, the shepherd David. We talked about him just a little bit last week. This is who Ruth was. But then who was also, look here and you see something else. Who was her mother-in-law? You notice that? Her mother-in-law is Rahab the one we preached about last week. And it's interesting, you know, because you've got, you've got these four or five women that are mentioned in this series, and four of them by name, and, and then there's another one thrown in there as well. We're only going to get to three of them in this series. But two of them, Rahab and, and Ruth, are right there together, that Rahab's daughter-in-law is Ruth. Okay, so here, and this, here's an interesting thing, is that Rahab and Ruth also, they were, neither one of them were Jews. This was something else they had in common. So, so uh, then Salmon and Boaz this father and son, they both took someone outside of the family of Abraham. They took someone outside of the family of Joseph or Israel, of Jacob. They took someone outside of the family and they married them, which, is, uh, uh, which was rare in those days, especially in leadership. And a lot of it is because God required that, because God had forbidden them to marry people outside of the, outside of the, the Jewish family. He had forbidden that. And so sometimes we look at that and some people say, well, some people think that was a racist thing. Some people think that, and, and there's been a lot of people that have used those uh, scriptures in the Old Testament to defend the racism that they have in their heart, the, the bias they have in their heart toward people who look different or act different or speak different or speak different languages than they do or live in different countries and say, so we just need to stay right here in our little, our, you know, our little club here and, and just reach the ones that look like us, talk like us, think like us, act like us, dress like us. But can I tell you something? There aren't a lot of people out there even if, even if they, were, they were born in, you know, your first or second cousins, there's not a lot of people outside of this building in our communities that look like us, act like us, talk like us, dress like us, because you know what? They're not following after Christ. And so if we're just going to be chasing the ones that look like us, act like us, talk like us, da-da-da-da-da, we're only going to be chasing each other. This was not God's intention. God wasn't saying because, and people have said this, it was a purity issue. But it was not a physical purity issue. It was a spiritual purity issue. And where we find it, we find it in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 4. Here's what God says. Don't marry outside of the Jewish family because if you marry outside, they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. The reason God was concerned that we don't marry outside of the family is he said, if you marry outside of the family, you're going to marry somebody that's going to, 
going to teach your kids. You're going to have kids with this person, and, and this person is going to teach them to not follow me, but to follow other gods. And you say, oh, well, that was back in those days. No, we got gods around today, right? We got all kinds of gods that we serve in this country. And, and so, can I tell you this? Can I tell you? Here's another unexpected thing. You might, not, you might not understand this. Now, if you've been married for a long time, you might really understand this. But you might not understand this if you've never been married or you just got married. But here's an unex, another unexpected statement. Is that God is concerned with who you marry. He is concerned about that. You know why? And it's not because of a racial thing. He could care less about that. I don't have time to go into that discussion with you, but see me after service and we'll talk about it. We'll go, we'll go to the New Testament. We'll teach you that. God's not concerned about that, but he is concerned about purity, not a physical purity, not a racial purity. He is concerned about a spiritual purity. He could care less about who you are today, but he cares a whole lot about who you're going to become tomorrow, who he can create you to become. It is a spiritual purity, and he is concerned about the person that you're going to marry. He's concerned about that because, you know why? Because, I mean, if, if you marry someone outside the family, and we're talking about Christian family here, and understand, we're, we're, we're evangelical, or we're missional, or we want to reach somebody outside of the church, but not through marriage. You know, we don't go out and let, let's marry a sinner so we can get them saved. No, that we don't do that. That's, that's not what he's saying to do. You still, you want your children to be raised. You know, here, back to the thing I preached several months ago, you know, if you want to raise heroes and don't marry a hoodlum, you know, you got, if you want to raise heroes, you need to be married to a hero. And this, is, this, is, this, is what, this is what God is teaching us to this. He is concerned about the person you, you were going, going to marry. Because if you don't, if, if you don't marry the right person, you're going to end up with a lot of trouble in your life. You're going to end up with a lot of trouble. And Ruth was a person that had a lot of trouble in her life. And uh, the, the first things we find out about her in Ruth chapter 1, we find out that, that, uh, that her mother-in-law, Naomi, had moved with her husband and their two boys to, to Moab because there was a famine in the land. And that while they were there, they lived there about 10 years, and we don't know exactly when all these things happened in that 10-year span. But while they were living there, Naomi's husband died in, in living in a foreign land. And so then her two sons, they married two women from Moab, this foreign land. And Ruth was one of those sons, one of, those sons of Naomi that were married. And, and he married Ruth. Ruth is now not, not a Jew. Okay? And so then while sometime in this 10 years she gets married, doesn't have any kids, but her husband dies as well. So now, so now she's got this mother-in-law whose husband, is, whose husband has died. So her father-in-law was dead probably before, before she even got married. And now her, her husband, her own husband, Ruth's own husband is dead. And then Ruth's got a sister-in-law named Orpah, and her husband dies as well. And so now you've got these three women living together in a house. They don't have any, they don't have any children. They don't have any men. They don't have any, any future whatsoever. So they're sitting in. This, this is the trouble that Ruth found herself in. Trouble is normally unexpected, right? Now, I mean, you know, sometimes you remember when you were a kid and you did something wrong, uh, you, you knew trouble was coming. That wasn't unexpected, right? You know, it, it's, it's, it's really funny to me to see, see our, see our uh, grandson, Colin. He's, he's a year old now, but even, even two or three months ago, you know, before he was even a year old, sometimes he would do one of those kinds of things, you know, that, that when he realized you were watching him, you know, he'd kind of drop it and he'd just look at you, you know, kind of like, what's going on, you know? Uh, you didn't see me do that, did you? You know, and even at an early age, you know, we've got this, we, we expect when we do things wrong. There's a lot of times that Bad, unexpected happens, and we're not looking for it. Now, you know what? I'm tired of bad, unexpected in my life. Anybody else? I'm ready for some good, unexpected in my life. Amen? I, you know, uh, bad, unexpected. What's bad, unexpected? Uh, uh, you know, finding out you made a mistake in your check, checking account. 
that's bad unexpected, right? You know, uh, learning you've got to have a colonoscopy next week. That's bad unexpected. I'm tired of bad unexpected. I'm ready for some good unexpected. Like, you know, uh, one of the unexpected that David's really help, hoping is going to happen one day is the doorbell's going to ring and it's going to be Publishers Clearinghouse. You know, that's, that's a good unexpected. Somebody say amen. Even so, let it be, Lord. That's what amen means, right? It means let it, let it be. Even so, let it be, Lord. Amen. That's, that's a good unexpected. Or, or, or a surprise birthday party. That's a good Or somebody buying your lunch. That's a good unexpected or a Christmas present. You know, that's really what this series is all about, leading us up to this beautiful present. A Christmas present. That's a good unexpected. Well, except some of the stuff that your, your grandmother gives you, right? But, I mean, you know, it, that's, good unexpe- that's good unexpected. And I'm tired of the bad unexpected in my life. I'm ready for some good unexpected in my life. But I have something to do with it. Now, it, it's not up to me to bring all that good unexpected into my life, but I have a little something to do with that. And that's what I want to show you this morning. I want to show you through Ruth. Even though she had, she, she had so much working against her, I meant she was, she was a widow. She, she had no family. She, uh, she had no way to make a living for herself. She was about to move back to Judah, and she was going to be an alien. You know, and today there's a whole lot in the press about, you know, aliens and illegal aliens, and people that aren't, you know, they don't have their paperwork and all the stuff, you know, and everything, and they're not legally here. That was about the same in those days as well. Now, they, they allowed people to come and go, but it was, they, they were separated. They were, they were ostracized in a lot of ways. And this is, where this, woman, this is where this woman found herself. And you would think she didn't have a whole lot going for her, and she didn't have a whole lot she could do. But there were a few things. And first of all, the first thing I want to tell you about Ruth is that Ruth was sincere. She had a sincerity about her. It wasn't. It wasn't a. It wasn't a one-time thing. It was a. It was a. It was a lifetime thing. You know, I. I, I I've really been struggling, hanging on to. I, I've got a. I got a point I want to make to you next week. If I don't share too much of it right now, about integrity. And you know what integrity is? I've heard some people say, "Well, integrity is what you do when nobody else is watching." But, you know, here's what integrity really is. Integrity is being the same, from the very outside all the way to the inside. If you ask somebody who deals with materials or, or structure or anything, they'll talk about the integrity, like the integrity of a piece of steel, meaning that it doesn't have rings in it. It is the, it is the same on the outside as it is on the inside, meaning that you cut it. It's not like a tree that you cut and you see all these rings where, oh, it had a, had a good year and it had a bad year. You, you know that about, about trees? You know, you cut them, you see all those rings. I mean, that tells you something about the history. I remember, I remember seeing that, that big section of a tree that was cut out on Stone Mountain. If you've ever been to Stone Mountain, uh, you saw that big section of tree. And they had put down dates of this huge tree that lived for all these years. And they, they had put little markers on the dates and about, about how all these things happened. And you could see the times, of, the times of famine or the times of drought when the tree didn't get enough water or the times of flood when the tree got too much, the times of struggle. And you could see all these things that... That is a lack of integrity. That is, that is the antithesis of integrity. It is the opposite of integrity. Integrity is being the very same on the outside as you are all the way through to the very innermost part of your core. And what Ruth had is Ruth had a sincerity that, was in, that had integrity to it because she was the same on the outside. Let me show you what I'm talking about here in just a couple of verses of Scripture. Here, Ruth has decided she's going back to Judah, and I had to cut out a bunch of verses. I'm going to tell you some of the story because there's way too much for me to read this morning. 
And she said they, they wept again. They had a lot to weep about, okay? Everybody's dead except for the three, these three women. They had a lot to weep about. They didn't have any future. They didn't have any plan. And then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. And then Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you nor to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Unexpected. A sincerity that was there. A sincerity, a sincerity that, that was there. Now, now Orpah, she said, hey, Orpah and, and, and Ruth both said, hey, we'll go with you. We're going to go with you. We'll be, we'll be there with you and go with But then Naomi said, hey, look, you don't want to go back with me. And then Orpah said, okay, we're, I'm not. Orpah's was a lip service. Orpah's was like, I, I, want, I want to look like I'm really going to be uh, uh, sincere. I want to look like I've got the integrity to be there and support my, my mother-in-law who's now a widow. And I, I want to look like I'm going to be there for my family. I want to look like this, but it was a lip service. It wasn't a true sincerity. There was, there, was, there was not an integrity, but, but Ruth was different. She said, no, whatever it is, I'm going to be here for you. She didn't really understand this whole thing about gods, but, you know, her gods or their gods, but, but she, she knew this. Hey, God, as far as she was concerned, gods were interchangeable, you know, the gods of this life. So she didn't really have an understanding of God yet, so, so we can forgive her, and God forgave her for a lot of that, but she didn't have the understanding of God. She said, hey, you know, the gods here, I'll, I'll leave those behind, and I'll go find your God, you know, whatever. She didn't really understand what that meant, but she had an integrity about her, even though she wasn't, even though she was not yet a follower of Jehovah. She had an integrity about her that said, this is what I, I don't just want it on Sunday morning for an hour and 15 minutes until the pastor says amen and we leave the building. This is something I want every day of my life. This is something I want 24 hours a day on Sunday, but I want it seven days a week as well. I want this 24 to 7. I, I, my sincerity is here. I'm going home. You know, you don't make the decision to move back home to, in, to, in Judah to go back with your, your, your widow mother-in-law without any hope, you don't make that decision on a, on a half-a-day basis. I mean, you, don't, you don't travel to Judah and move back to Judah on a half-day basis. You say, no, this is going to be my life. There was a sincerity about her. And you have to have this sincerity. You have to have this sincerity to get to that place of receiving the good unexpected in your life. And secondly, let me tell you this. And this was something that in some ways you say, well, this was totally outside, of, outside of, of Ruth's ability. She had a mentor, a great mentor in her mother-in-law, Ruth. And I, I, I'm sorry, in her mother-in-law, Naomi. And I know you can say, well, that was totally out. She, she didn't get to choose her mentors. Oh, she didn't? You see, when, when Naomi said, just go back home to your family, Ruth had seen something in Naomi said, nope, I'm going to hitch my wagon to you. She chose her mentor. Yes, she did. I mean, sometimes we say, well, we don't, we don't have anything to do with the people that, no, you don't have anything to do with the family that you were born into, but you have a choice to make about the people that will be your friends, your confidants, and your mentors. And she said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow after you. Let me show you just some of the, some of the blessings of having a great mentor. With her two daughter-in-laws, Naomi left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. And then Naomi said to her daughter-in-laws, Go back, each one of you, to her mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud. 
and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. Okay, this is where they said they would go back. Naomi said this, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, this is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. Okay, let me, let me just share a little bit of what she's saying right here. Here's, here's one of the things that she's saying. She's saying, and I, I, it almost sounds like Naomi don't want to deal with this woman. That's kind of what it sounds like, doesn't it? It's like Naomi said, look, look, y'all don't come home with me. I don't want to put up with y'all. I, I don't have any, no, that's not what she's saying. She's saying, here's what she's doing. As a great mentor will always do to you, she's saying, have you counted the cost of this? Do you understand what this will really mean if you start walking with me? You know, you, you, your life here that you've had all these years, even these past few years that you've been my, son, my, my son's uh, wife, this life is totally different from anything else. If you choose to follow me, here's what's going to happen. Make sure you understand this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen. That's what she was doing. She was saying, look at this, make a good decision, don't jump into something, but make a good decision. Let's go on. Uh, her mother-in-law again asked Ruth, said, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I need, I, need, I, I, I need to kind of set this up today. So, so here's, what, here's what they got. And I, I had to cut out some scripture, so uh, let, me, let me set this up. I just don't have, have time to read all these. So they get back, they get back to Judah, and, and, so, uh, and Ruth says, well, look, I'm going to go work in the field. I'm going to go glean in the fields. And I'll explain that in a few moments if, if I've still got time, if I don't, if I don't you know, waste too much right here. But she said, I'm going to go work in the field. And after the day's work in the field, she came home. Her mother-in-law asked, Naomi asked Ruth, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Bless me the man who took notice of you. I love this. Bless me the man. Now, she doesn't even know who the man is. She doesn't even know exactly what happened. But she says, bless me the man. And she would say, okay, wait a minute. Ruth, you've been taken care of. I, I don't know exactly everything that happened. But Ruth was coming back with some gleanings, okay? Ruth was coming back with some food for them today. And, and Naomi was looking at this, like, okay, wait a minute. Looks like you've, you've hooked up with a good group of people right there. Blessed is this man. She said, take note. That's what a great mentor will do to you, male or female, is they will point out to you people that you need to connect with. There's another one you need to connect with. Okay, and she was noticing this and noting it so that Ruth would note it. And she said, uh, then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one uh, at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. And the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Oh, wait a minute. Naomi knew this thing about kinsmen redeemers. He said, let me tell you this. You don't have to have a connection to get to Jesus Christ. You don't have to have, but you know what? A good connection after you meet with Jesus is really, really good for you. You don't have to have somebody help you find him, but it's really great to have great mentors in your life. Better than having uh, Dr. Phil on your speed dial, it'd be better for you to have two or three people that you can confide in and have a, have a group of people that you meet with, like small groups. I mean, that's one, this is one of the reasons that we do small groups around here is we want, you to, we want to help you connect with people because you, you need to be connected with somebody. I mean, if, if, if you're a whole Christian experience is, uh, with other Christians, I mean, is an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday, you're going to struggle all week long. You need some people like, like Naomi who says, wait a minute, let me tell you what's going on here. I understand the kinsman redeemership. You see, because some of, some of you, when you first came to Jesus, and maybe some of you haven't yet, you come to Jesus for the first time and you say, I don't, still don't understand how he's going to help me with all this. You don't have to understand a whole lot of that. 
All you got to do is just, just kind of surrender yourself. But what, but what a great Christian spiritual mentor will do is explain some of this. Say, this is how Jesus can take his blood and separate your sins. This is how Jesus can forgive you even though you don't deserve it. And this is how Jesus can heal your marriage that you've been destroying all these years. And this is how Jesus can forgive you of all those things that you shudder and hope nobody ever knows. And this is how Jesus can fix this and fix this. That's why you need great people, great Christian mentors in your life. And that's what Naomi was. And Ruth said, said he, Boaz said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. So Ruth said, you know what he said? He told me to stay and to come back and come back. He said, He's saying, just stay with us. You'll come back tomorrow, come back tomorrow. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls because in someone else's field you might be harmed. Okay, here's something else she does. She says, hey, let me tell you, it's good for you to stay in his field. Just stay with the other girls in his field because if you go somewhere else, you might be harmed. A good Christian mentor will steer you away from the things that will harm you. They will start telling you, say, wait a minute, you don't need to be doing that. Now, uh, here, here's one of the biggest struggles we have in the church, church world today about getting people connected to mentors. You know what it is? I, I, I'm, I, this just crawled all over me a week and a half ago on Wednesday night when we were, when we, we were in a small group on Wednesday night and uh, Brother Cliff was teaching, is that we don't have enough mentors willing to be there for people. We don't have enough mentors willing to say, and you know, we've got, some of us have this kind of attitude, well, I don't want to say anything to hurt anybody's feelings. If somebody opens the door, I'm speaking to those of you who've been Christians for a while now. If someone opens the door for you to step into their life and be a Christian mentor, you know what? Every once in a while, you need to say, hey, put that down. That ain't going to help you. It's going to hurt you. You need to be, God didn't put you in their life to say, well, it's just going to be all right, sweetheart. You need to be challenging them to grow up. And you know what? Every one of us needs to. I said this this past Wednesday night, I said this. Can I tell you, right now, I am trying to replace two mentors in my life. I've got two mentors that I've had for years and years and years that have just, for one reason or the other, they're kind of uh, getting out of my life and they're just not available. And I, I don't know if this is a God thing or what's happening. I'm look, I've pastored for uh, 16 years before we planted this church. I've, I've served as, you know, uh, I, don't, I, don't say this, I don't want to say this is bragging because I can just tell you that, you know, hey, uh, there's nothing to brag about it because I left it because it wasn't me. But I've served as the number two man in our denomination in three different states in our denomination. I mean, you know, I, I, I've got a lot of head knowledge and a lot of spiritual knowledge and a lot of Bible knowledge in me, but I'm still looking for mentors. I've spent 16 years pastoring before I planted this church, and I'm still looking for mentors. And if you're a new child of God, you definitely need to be looking for mentors and someone who can every once in a while look at you and say, there is something not right in your life. Let's talk about it. We all need that. I need that, and we all need that. And that's, that's the other thing she was doing. And then, so Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean the barley, and she lived with her mother-in-law. She, who do you live with? I don't mean who you stay with. I mean who you live with. I don't mean whose house do you sleep in. I mean who do you live with. We live with different people than we sleep with sometimes. We live with different people than we eat dinner with sometimes. We live with different people. Most of you teenagers live with different people than buy your clothes. Who do you live with every single day of your life? You need to find some good mentors in your life. You need to, find, you need to start surrounding you because you spend 40 hours a, a week. 
You spend 40 hours a week with people who are pouring all kinds of trash into your life. Somebody better help me and say amen. And you need to find somebody who will pour some good into your life. You need to find some people and surround yourself with them and find two or three that you can tell anything to, at least one that you can absolutely tell your deepest, darkest secrets to and them not be blown away and them not share it with somebody else and develop that relationship. In January, you need to connect with a small group, somebody that will she lived with her mother-in-law. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? This is, this is the heart of a mentor. I want to help you grow. I want to help you have a great life. Is, is it not Boaz, whose servant girls you have been, you have been with, a kinsman of ours tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Now watch this, this is really weird. Wash and perfume, perfume yourself and put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. Okay, so tonight, you know, we worked all day, but tonight he's going to be doing something at threshing floor. So get cleaned up. Get cleaned up. That's a spiritual mentor thing. Keep yourself clean. You've let some of that stuff out there in the world get on you. Clean yourself up. You want some good, unexpected to start happening in your life again? Clean yourself up. You wiped your shoes off. We talked about that a couple months ago, didn't we? You got that new life, you wipe your shoes off, but you have to get out there and live in that world and 40 hours a week. Your spiritual mentor will say, get yourself clean because God wants to do something great for you here. Then, and when he lies down, when Boaz lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. I'm going to have to skip these next ones, Mike, I think, and go on to my next point, but just for a moment. This is weird. I, you know, this is weird. We don't do that kind of thing. I, and, and it sounds a little degrading. It sounds like she's, her, her mother-in-law is telling her, go act like a dog. You know, go crawl. Wherever he sleeps, just get down at his feet, you know, and act. And it sounds like she's saying, you know, go, go act like a dog. But it, it was a custom thing. It was, it, was, it was a sign to them. Boaz knew what it was going to mean. That what, what Ruth was doing is she was going and she found out where he was lying down for the night. She went in and she laid at his feet and she took his covering off of his feet and she put it over herself. And when he awoke and, and, and realized what had happened and he asked her a question, she, she used the same language, I want you to cover me. You know what she was saying? She was saying, hey, I'm available. You want to put a ring on my finger? That's what she was saying. She was saying, I have no man. I'm in need of someone to take care of me. And, and, and you know, and this, this was in a different day, okay? You, you have to understand this. But she would say, this was in a different day. Women didn't really work outside the home where they could make a living and that they could support themselves. She was saying, I need. And you know what? There was, there was property that used to belong to Ruth's father-in-law that was sitting. Nothing was happening. Or either somebody had moved on it and started raising crops or something. And what she was saying was, she was saying, Boaz, I need you to redeem my heritage. The stuff I am and the stuff I have and the stuff we have as a family has been lost. Someone else is probably using it right now. I need you to redeem me. I have no one to cover me. I have no one to help me. I have no one to be my redeemer. And Boaz, immediately, he said, just wait here. Just do this. Take care of this. Da, 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 da. He said, I'll do this, and I'll take care of it. By laying herself at his feet, she was saying, I need a redeemer. You know what redeem means, don't you? It really means save you from yourself. 
You're the one that's been messing this life up that you've been living. And he's saying, I need someone to save me from my life. Redeem me, Boaz. And I like, and I'm going to skip the scripture, but I like what, I like what when, when she gets home and tells Naomi his reply. And he says, I'll do it. I'll do it. Naomi said, you know, and I, I kind of got this picture in my mind, you know, that if this were a movie, they'd have Medea playing this part right here. <laughs> and she had, I, I, just, I, I don't know, I'm sorry. <laughs> you, were, you were really spiritual with me there for just a moment. I just lost it. But I, just, I could just hear her say, mm, honey, he won't let another day go by until he takes care of this. That's, what he's, uh, uh, that's a paraphrase. That's what, he, that's what she says. She sees that she knows men better than men know themselves. Ooh, wouldn't it be good to have a great, ladies, wouldn't it be good to have a great spiritual mentor, female lady that knew men better than men know themselves? So when you're trying to figure us out, like pulling your hair out, saying, what in the world is wrong with this guy I'm living with that I'm wearing his ring? She could say, mm honey, let me tell you, you got him right where you want him. That's what she said. And it won't be a day till it's taken care of. It'll be handled today. That's every young lady in this house, I don't care how long you've been a Christian. If you're 20 years old, you've been a Christian for 15 years, you need a spiritual mentor. You need a lady standing. And you young men, the same thing. You need that. Third, I got to say, I, I got to get to this last point real quick. Is Ruth did what she could do? There's some things you cannot do, but there was something she. What could she do? She listened. She listened to some good counsel, and she obeyed that good counsel. And that counsel was saying, "Now get out and do this, or do this, or do this, or act this." And she went and did it. Wasn't a big. Didn't look like a big. Go lay down at his feet. And cover up? Is that it? That, that's all I got to do? Gosh, you know, I'm going to take a nap. My goodness, I'd love to have that kind of uh, advice. Go get me a doctor, a doctor's prescription for to go take a nap. I'd love that. It seems like such a little thing. And sometimes you may think like, well, this, this is not enough. You just need to do what you can do. You can't save yourself from your sins. And if your marriage is in trouble, you probably can't rescue it. And if your kids are lost and they're into some habit, you can't rescue them. There's a whole lot of stuff you cannot do and you need to quit worrying about what you, you cannot do. And you need to get like Ruth and lay down at the feet of the Redeemer. Oh, isn't that a beautiful picture? Just lay down at the feet of the Redeemer and say, I cannot fix this. Please redeem me. Look at what she did. Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth and Moab. And we're backing up in the story. I'm, I'm having to give you this bits and pieces a little bit. Her daughter-in-law arriving in Bethlehem as they were arrived in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Okay, now what, what, what do you do? You, if you heard my wife, Deva, say the need is the call. We all sit around and wait for the call, wait for the call, wait for the call, wait for the call. She looked around to see what was going on. You know what was going on? Barley harvest. We need to make some money. It's barley harvest. So what do we do? Got to get out there and harvest barley. That's the only way I'm going to make a living. That's the way we're going to eat. And so that's what Ruth did. She saw it was barley harvest. She Okay, well, duh. Nobody has to tell me what. Come on, think about it. Nobody has to tell you what to. If you want to get closer to God, there's some things you know automatically. Oh, well, there's, there's some stuff I need to do. 
I bet I'd come right here into worship. Get into prayer. There's some stuff already. And Ruth Moabite has said to Naomi, Ruth said, let me go to the fields, pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her daughter, go ahead, my daughter. And so Ruth said, I want to go glean in the fields. So here's what they did is, is they would allow as, and this was, this was actually a law of God. This was something God told them to do. It's when you're, when you're gathering your, your crop, your harvest, and you drop some on the ground, leave it for the poor in your city. And as they come around behind you, let them pick that up. Don't pick up all the crumbs. Don't pick up all those little pieces. Leave it. Whatever you, you know, as you're gathering, whatever you, whatever you drop, leave it there. And that's what she did. She said, let me go glean. And go ahead, my daughter, she said. And she said, please let me glean. And, uh, and so then, uh, I'm sorry, I keep forgetting that I've skipped, I've, I've, I had to skip all these verses of Scripture. So she goes and she works and she works an entire day. And then Boaz notices her and Boaz asks and says this. And is told this about her. Please let me, this is what she said. Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now except for a short rest in the shelter. Her, her, her only purpose was to go and glean in the field. But she worked at it with everything she had. She worked all day long except for a short rest in the shelter. She had a work ethic. I mean, there's a whole lot more I can tell you about Ruth. She had a work ethic. She, she said, look, this is my livelihood. And this is my, this is my, my widow mother-in-law. She is depending on me to bring food home today. And her only purpose was to get out there and, and harvest some barley. But she didn't just get out there and harvest and say, okay, this will probably be enough. I think I'm going home. It's hot out here. She worked hard all day long. She did what she could do. It's easy for us to say, well, hour and 15 minutes on Sunday, oh, that'll probably get my family through this week. Is that all you want? You just want to get through? I thought you wanted some good unexpected in your life. Can I tell you this? If you want the unexpected to start happening in your life, the good unexpected, then you're going to have to start doing the unexpected. You're going to have to go beyond just the norm of whatever. I mean, here's, here's one of the big problems in the church world today. I mean, people are, people are coming to church, and, and they're telling us, the stats are telling us that our families in churches are in just as much trouble as the families out there who don't go to church. And you know why? Because we come to church and only do the expected. We, we sit here for an hour and a half. We worship the three songs. We pray the prayer at the end because we're told to pray the prayer. We pay our tithes, maybe, some of us. We give some offerings. Every once in a while, we'll feel guilty enough to actually go buy a Christmas present for somebody who doesn't have as much as us. But we're just doing the expected. And so you know what's happened? In churches all over this country today, there are people who are struggling, and they only have bad expected happening in their lives because they are only doing the expected. And what they need to do, and what we need to do, is if we want the good expected to happen in our lives again, we got to start doing the unexpected. If we want the unexpected happening in our marriages, then we got to do the unexpected in our marriages. If we want the unexpected to happen in our schools, then we got to start doing the unexpected in our schools. If we want the unexpected happening in our, in our places of business, in our families, in our communities, then we got to start doing the unexpected. That's what Ruth did. She did the unexpected. And as, as simple as it was, just go lay at his feet and say, I need a redeemer. You got problems. Come on, you've got problems. Somebody say amen. And, but you've got a Savior that is, he's just sitting, it's just like he's laying here waiting for you to come to his feet and say, redeem me from my problems.
And you know that, that thing I told you at the end of last, last week, and I, I don't know if I even told it at the end of the, the uh, 930 sermon, so let me make sure I say it here. Is that a lot of people say, I've heard this a lot of times, is that God will meet you halfway. Y'all ever heard that? God will meet you. Nah, that ain't right. He come a lot farther than that. Here's some, maybe unexpected to you, but I tell you this. God, Jesus, will meet you right where you are. Just, just lay it all down right at his feet. You don't, you, don't, you don't have to become something you're not. You don't have to change your last name. You don't have to change your heritage. You don't have to change your past. Just bring it all to him. Just lay it right here, and he'll meet you right where you are. Ruth, I, I, I meant, this, Ruth was a woman with all kinds of trouble and problems. She was lonely, no doubt. I mean, she had a lot of sadness in her life. And Jesus Christ, I meant, if you read the book of Revelation, and you see how Jesus Christ is treated in heaven, you say, Jesus is the center of attention in heaven. And yet he came to meet Ruth in the middle of her depression, loneliness, sadness, trouble, and all of her loss. He didn't come halfway. That's a lot farther than halfway. He'll do the same for you. Stand with me. Would you come to the front? Let's close in prayer this morning. Jesus. Come on. Amen. God, I ask you, Lord, right now, God, prepare us, Lord. Prepare us, Lord. Jesus, Jesus. I want the prayer team to get ready, if you will. Just come around in the front and get ready to pray. And they, they aren't Jesus. These aren't the feet of Jesus. Well, they are in a way, you know, because when he says we're his body, this is... These are the only physical feet that Jesus has. But I don't want you to come fall at their feet. What I do want you to do is I want you to say, look, I, I need some prayer. I want, I want you to help me pray about some stuff this morning. You don't have to give details. That's not what it's important. Just say, hey, I want you to pray for my family. I want you to pray for my finances. I want you to pray for my health. I'm not a Christian. I want you to help me. Tell me how to ask God to take his blood and wash away all my sins. That's what you just need to share. You know, I, I, just, I just imagine, I just imagine Naomi telling Ruth, Okay, look, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go in wherever he's laying down tonight, and you're going to uncover his feet and cover yourself up. And maybe she told him what was, maybe she told her what was going to happen, or maybe not. I can just imagine Ruth was probably on pins and needles the rest of the day, thinking, my goodness, I'm going to dress up. I'm going to get ready. It's like getting ready for a date. I mean, they didn't even do these kind of dates. You know, they didn't do dates back in those days, you know, like this. She's getting ready for a date. You know, you remember the anticipation you had? You know, for a date, some of you have to think way back, quite a few years, right? But, think, you know, the anticipation that you have for a date, and you're thinking about all this and all this, and you think about it all day long, you know, and you're getting ready for the date, and that's the way she was. You know what? That's what you need to do when, you, when you're sitting in a, in a service and you hear a message like this that says, God wants, you know, basically says, God wants to help you with all these problems you got in your life. You know what? You, you need to be sitting back there saying, Pastor, would you shut up? Let me come down and pray. Would you just please get to the end of this so we can pray, and, and, and let's believe God to do something good, unexpected in my life. You need to have that kind of an anticipation. Would you bow with me right now? Jamie's going to lead us in a final song. Don't start singing until you finish praying. But right now, is there somebody to say today, come on, think about it. This is between you and God. It's not between me and you. It's not even between the prayer team members and you. Say, Come on, somebody, just say today, I, I need God's help today. 
I got some problems. I got some struggles. I got some needs. I got some troubles in my life. I got some battles in my life. I need some instruction. I need, I need God to connect me with a great spiritual mentor. Show me. God, open my eyes. Let me see that person in this church, God. Let me see this person in my life, God. I pray in Jesus' name. Would you pray? Come on, pray. If you've got a special need, please move forward. Let one of these prayer team members pray with you. Please let them pray with you. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name.